0: Alexa Uh, uh, Stop. stop, 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 stop. A podcast about how technology is changing our lives. With Robert Belgrave and Jim Bowes. Welcome to Alexa Stop. I am Jim Bowes, and sat next to me is the blockchain investor that you all want to know, Mr. Robert Belgrave. How are you? Very well. Thank you, Jim. A little damp uh, from my walk to our new studio in Camden. How are you today? I'm really good, yeah. I was away at Wilderness Festival at the weekend uh, and uh, had a lovely time there. There was themes, dress-up themes. What did you dress as? Um, I dressed as uh, the themes. So day one was a double take, so I took a matching jumper to my girlfriend. Um, Nice, uh, know, Committed to the the dress-up. And day two was mirrorball and day three was warrior. 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 Talk to me about warrior dress-up. Well, you know, if I'm honest, I just got some sort of slightly army Rambo-esque face paint and put on like a bit of camo headband and went, Yeah, you know, basically I'm sort of like not massively into dressing up for things, so I went for the minimum effort for every single day. So minimum effort, maximum... Impact. Impact? Yeah. Is that a warrior gag? <laughs> I don't know. It could be. Um, anyway, um, one of the things that we don't talk about very much is that after we record this podcast, what we often do... Uh, what we normally do is take the guests from the show for dinner. We do indeed. And uh, last, uh, the, the last show was sort of about AI and a uh, really fascinating conversation that we had, but it sort of all descended. It descended afterwards over Thai food in Hoxton. Uh, it descended into a sort of, an. Would you call it, an argument or a, a discussion? I think the argument's probably about right, really, isn't it? I mean, I love Pete DeBitts, our, our guest from the previous episode, who he's a wonderful guy, incredible intellect, but I pretty fundamentally disagree with him on his views on cryptocurrency and and bitcoin which we're going to get into during this episode so i feel like once he's like because he's not here to defend himself i sort of have to play the role of pete or at least the sort of uh, the view of pete which is until i can buy a pint of milk with blockchain it's of no interest with me or with sorry with a cryptocurrency uh, so with bitcoin or something like that and you're like very far off on that i've bought some of these i think it's the future side of things yeah, I guess I'm kind of at the other end of the spectrum, but how about this? How about we'll come back to this towards the end of the episode with our wonderful guest and we'll see like where you're at by the time we've done an hour on the subject. Yeah, okay, so we're going to talk about blockchain some more because it's it's complicated, isn't it? It's very complicated and I think it's a big topic and there's a lot of FUD out there, there's, you know just, just bollocks, frankly, being thrown around the internet. So I understand why people are sceptical. So I'm going to see if I can translate some of that for everyone today. And if you haven't invested yet, listener, then you might want to by the end of this podcast. Let's see how convincing I am. And we've got to cover off Bitcoin versus the blockchain as two separate things, because uh, I saw someone this month created a blockchain-based country. Uh, okay, I missed that one. But yeah, I mean, people are making all kinds of amazing businesses with it. So This episode is all about innovation, and blockchain is one of the most amazing things going on in the innovation space at the moment. So yeah, I thought we could get into that in a bit more detail and see what we can get across for everyone. Great. And uh, the other thing that's, that's happening is uh, we've got a guest. Who's our guest? Our guest is Lawrence Weber. Lawrence is sat here pretending he's not here, doing a very good job of being silent, and we'll introduce him later on to talk all things innovation. Do you know one of the things I'm excited to talk to Lawrence about? He's a man who's got a lot of different online biographies. He does indeed. Uh, quite a few biographies. Uh, I, I, I have a feeling we might be unpacking some of those later on. I feel like, you know, I want to meet the real Lawrence Weber, but which biography is he? <laughs> Well, we shall see. (laughs) And on that note, a bit of housekeeping. Listener, we're now on Twitter. We finally got around to setting up Twitter, so please follow us, Alexa underscore stop. Retweet all of our wonderful tweets about our podcast. And if you haven't rated us on iTunes yet, please do that as well. We're trying to get featured by Apple, so your reviews are much appreciated. Um, And I believe you've been trying to buy a new office chair. I have been trying to buy a new office chair. Uh, It's on topic. This is on topic. It is on topic. So I needed a a new and comfortable chair due to my uh, slightly broken back. And uh, I bought one on a Shopify site. And at the checkout, guess what I was offered as a payment method? Bitcoin. Amazing. I thought you were going to leave it hanging for me there. Uh, but, um, you know, given the theme of the show, it was sort of maybe, maybe a little obvious, obvious, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. But, but what that means is that everyone who runs an e-commerce site on Shopify, which is a kind of easy to use self-service e-commerce platform, used by lots of businesses, can enable Bitcoin as a payment method, which is a massive step forward for the adoption of, of a kind of new and exciting currency. There's something to pick you up on there uh, in a little while, because people have been talking about the administration charges. So I'd be interested to know if on the Shopify payment, how that sort of affects things. Um, do you know the last thing that gave me a sore back, Rob? What was that? It was, doing was dressing a, up as a warrior. Was, no, I managed to keep my back reasonable It was a little mm. bit. But uh, I did a two-hour Britney Spears dance workshop. <laughs> That, that um, Nothing like that to give you a sore back. Listen, he's not joking either. <laughs> I'm not? No, he's really not. Um, thank God this is a, an audio format, is all I can say. Yeah, I mean, you know, I'll dance for you later. Um, anyway, it's probably time to move on. I think it's news time, Jim. It's the news. It's the news. It's the news. Eventually we'll get a jingle for that. I'm sure we will. Um, so it feels like every single news story I read at the moment is in some way related to AI. Yeah, I mean, I think... The AI chat on this podcast is almost becoming a segment in itself, right? Like, it feels like every episode we've sort of flirted with the topic of AI one way or another, and this is no exception, is it? The world of AI. Boom. There it is. That's the new segment. And, well, quite a few stories to cover in the AI space this month. Where do we start? You know, I've got one that's totally my favourite, if I'm honest. Please. It's a Facebook story. It's about some bots that they got talking to each other. And uh, they had to shut them down because they invented their own language. And it made the mainstream press, which is once something makes the mainstream press, then I'm interested in it because, you know, really, I'm the fluff on this podcast <laughs> and you're the technical explanations. Wow, it's very kind. Um, and so uh, the, the, do you know what they were called, these two bots? I do not. What were they called? They were called Bob and Alice. Okay. And whilst Bob is actually a shortening of your name, I thought you could take on the role of Alice. <laughs> so, well, uh, you know, it's not the weekend, but... Why not? Uh, so um, I suppose what I thought you know, I was going to do is take on the character of Bob as, a, as if I was a sort of paparazzi in a bad 80s film uh, from New York. I'm going to be a New York character. And I thought we could reenact the negotiation between the Facebook bots. What do you think? I think this is going to go one of two ways. So, uh, listener, if you subsequently hear some chat between a New York reporter and a robot, it went well. And if not, well, uh, we moved yeah, on. We moved on. OK, let's start it. So uh, here we go. I can, I, I, everything else. Balls have zero to me, 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 to You, I, everything else. Balls have a ball to me, to me, to me. I've just realized I'm doing quite a male robot voice. I don't think I can do a female robot voice. Uh, to me, to me. I, I, can, I, 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 everything else. Balls have a ball to me, to me, to me, to me, to me. I. Balls have zero to me, to me, to me, to me, to me, to me. You, I, 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 everything else. Balls have zero to me, to me, to me. I feel like a Wimbledon umpire. Balls, juice, to me. And you, I, 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 everything else. Uh. And that was when they pulled the plug. I think, <laughs> yeah. unfortunately. Why, why, why do you think they pulled the plug, Rob? I can't imagine. Um, so, this listener, if you haven't caught this story, was a, a fascinating exchange between two chatbots that Facebook put together. And what happened was they were tasked with negotiating to purchase something from, from each other. An art right? of negotiation. But one yeah. of them was in like they plain were bartering, stream. weren't they? Bartering. Yeah. yeah. One of them was in. The, so I think that's why they introduced the additional eyes. It's like I, 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 I really want that thing you know, I think is kind of what they're trying to say. I mean, and to I'm me, saying... it's like, give it to me. I really want it. <laughs> to, to, to me. me. To, to me. me. Like, so I feel like I can already translate Facebook's bots that invented their own language. And also, they did choose to use words in English that I do totally understand. So I think it was sort of overstating the case, really, in the mainstream press that they invented their own language. They put our existing language uh, in a new order that we probably wouldn't normally choose. Yeah, and I think, look, the news cycle on this was kind of ridiculous like a lot of the headline grabbing articles I saw were all about they pulled the plug because they were becoming sentient and they were terrified of what was going to happen and actually they pulled the plug because the experiment had reached a conclusion and wasn't producing any more valuable data but uh, someone did get in touch on twitter saying to us are we going to talk about this they Uh, did and uh, they said uh, and they got far more than they bargained for uh, they did didn't they Um, are are you going to talk about the fact that facebook's bots have become the chuckle brothers (laughs) <laughs> was, uh, what they said about it so thanks to dave for, for Cheers, messaging dave. us in the uh during the month about that and yeah i guess it, you know good story I, i've enjoyed it like to me to you there it is there you go dave i mean those guys are getting old you know i reckon we could get their show uh, well i mean you've got to have have hopes and dreams in life and, and maybe being the next chuckle brothers the chuckle brothers of tech
1: the chuckle Brothers of tech. <laughs>
0: uh, sometimes filthy things come I, out here that I, we should I, never really I mean, I, conceive. I, I guess that's an accolade. Um, let's move on into the next story. So there's a, a DeepMind-related story that you wanted to talk about? This is one of those stories that just really sucks as, uh, to, to cover in audio, but there was this amazing video that's doing the rounds. It's actually a little bit old now, but something that got sent to me in the last month of DeepMind, which is a Google AI algorithm teaching itself how to walk, which is kind of amazing and terrifying all at once. So there's a video available of this sort of weird animation of a, a stick man and they gave this AI the data points of a, of a body but they didn't explain to it what walking was, right? So they, this AI kind of knew it had feet and arms and that was it and they asked it to figure out how to move. And what's really amazing is that it came up with walking but the kind of entertaining thing is it does so in a what it just sort of decided was a more efficient way which seems to involve quite a lot of arm flailing Um, Particularly when cornering for extra balance. (laughs) Um, So I think on the way home from tonight's recording, we should give the deep mind walking vibe a bit of a go and see if it can become like the next sort of skank. I could see it. It could be a good look. I was just thinking, you know, once you can walk and negotiate, can you dance? That's that's my main sort of question. I think if we join those algorithms together, we could have a party. Uh, An AI deep mind party. Okay, Jim, let's do it. And the other thing, uh, so someone else got in touch with us. We're actually starting to get people that speak to us across social media. I know. Apparently people actually listen to this. It's incredible. So, yeah, Anthony Shaw got in contact with us to ask if we'd seen the Hayao Miyazaki, I think I pronounced that right, meme, which was just hilarious. So there's a guy called Hayao who's like a, a legendary animator He's one of the founders of anime, really. Yeah, he's like one of the founding fathers of anime animation. So, like, incredible artist and and very talented guy. And there's this incredible video that turned into a bit of a meme where these guys from an AI studio sit him down and and demonstrate to him this algorithm they've created, which they'd used to make a kind of zombie drag itself along the ground in weird and wonderful ways that humans would. It made itself do that. Yeah, well, they'd... All right, so (laughs) you know it's this whole like learning to do things for yourself kind of thing. Yeah, so they'd programmed an algorithm and fed it the data, and then it had figured out how to do this weird movement. And there's this incredible reveal as they show it to him, thinking he's going to be like blown away by it. And he comes out and says it's an insult to humanity. Um, He wasn't impressed at all. He wasn't impressed. I've never seen a Japanese man look less impressed. And the the silence on the recording as the AI team. Just sort of accept this sick burn. <laughs> it's just <laughs> incredible. They're um, they sort of just so, trying to like explain themselves and, uh, and and sort of say, well, we were just trying to. And, and he was no, taking none he, of it. He's having none of it. So there you go. There you go, Anthony. That one's for you. Um, and on to our second news story. So the second news story this month was uh, titled Alexa, Are You Listening? And this uh, apologies if I just set off your Amazon device in your living room. This story was all about the fact that the Echo is unfortunately hackable, as many people suspected it might be. You know, the good news is it do, you do require physical access to the device. So if you've got one in your house, you know, you're confident no one's ever got their hands on it, then it's fine. But what people can do is they can exploit the microphone and essentially use it as a wiretap. So lots of hotel chains are talking about rolling these out at the moment. So you might want to unplug it if you walk into a hotel room and there's uh, an Echo sat on the shelf. The other good news is if you press the mute button on the top, it completely disables the, the recording, even if the device has been hacked. So, um, you know, a, a bit of a public service announcement for our listeners, but also just a kind of interesting view, I guess, on why we're going to get to as we put all of these Hard devices. with mi- Well, and, you know, devices with microphones that are permanently on in our lives is, is a concern. Yeah, I mean, you know, to be honest, I don't think I say anything that I'm too worried about, if I'm honest. Do you? I'm not sure if that's because you don't say anything dubious, or because you just don't care who hears. Maybe, it, maybe both. Maybe it's like what like, place in the like continuum you're like. Yeah, I mean, I guess sometimes I say stuff like, you know, the th- stuff I'd be most worried about is when I'm like saying rude things about my family, <laughs> which I never do. Obviously. No, of course not. Definitely not. Um, so that was that on that one. Really, just wanted people to be aware. If you walk into a hotel room and you see an echo, turn the mic off, please, for your own good. And our third story from this month was the bees story. Did you see this one? Incredible story. The pollination of bees. We don't even need bees anymore. We spent all this time trying to save the real ones, and then it turns out we can just make robot ones. <laughs> all those wildflower boxes all over the stations, all that charitable donation <laughs> why, why we revenue. Bother? What a waste of time, eh? We can kill the wasps as well now. Um, <laughs> so this is kind of... I thought what was interesting is... Do you remember last month we covered the dragon fly eye? Thing with I love the, that. the uh, remote, that was one of my favourite stories. Yeah, kind of, kind of cool. So, a 24-year-old student in America has come up with a robotic bee called Plan B. There's obviously something about these autonomous insects that requires them to have terrible names. Do you think it can sing Plan B songs <laughs> <laughs> while well, well, harvesting pollen? You're like confused about whether you're a singer or a rapper, uh, and you can also pollinate flowers. <laughs> That's a good set of skills across the board, isn't it? <laughs> Maybe that's why Millie divorced him, is t- uh, too much time spent pollinating. Exactly. <laughs> Not enough wrapping going on. Anyway, it, you know, an amazing idea. Bees obviously are dying out in many countries, and the students come up with a kind of autonomous bee that can harvest pollen and, and handle one of the key parts of making the ecosystem work, which is good. However, those of you that have seen the final episode of the late season of Black Mirror might be asking yourself some pretty um, legitimate questions about rolling out autonomous bees into our world. Do you think some people that invent this kind of stuff just actually watch fiction programs and go, I'm going to make that? Well, yeah. I think mean, they probably do, actually. I think that sci-fi often seems to lead the way, doesn't it? They, I can't, I can't remember what the stat is, but it's something like 70% of things you see in sci-fi come true eventually or something like that. So thinking back about all the sci-fi I've watched in my life, I think that's a good thing. We're so different, aren't we, Rob? Are you sitting there thinking, that's terrible? Well, I just, I, I'm like... I haven't watched much sci-fi at all. Like the 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 first proper sci-fi film I watched was Guardians of the Galaxy, and it was because I was a guest at someone's house in Cologne, and uh, and I was like, uh, they're like, come over for movie night with my family. Uh, and then it's like, it's sci-fi movie night. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'd normally go so out of my way to avoid this. But <laughs> I'm kind of in Cologne, and I don't know anyone. So uh, let's do it. But knowing you like I do, you probably loved the soundtrack. I loved it. And the, 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 they were brilliant hosts. The soundtrack was great. They're brilliant hosts. And uh, and uh, the Jam is an awesome guy who looked after me in Cologne. And so actually, I'm a bit of a convert. I think that's what happened that night, hanging with him. Maybe that's what led you to come and talk Sci-fi and technology. Malaysian in food, room. sci-fi, Germany, all good stuff. Sounds banging. Um, what, what else have we got coming up? So uh, we're talking about uh, jobs, really, aren't we, next? Uh, so are you worried about AI taking your job? Yeah, so, you know, that seems to be the narrative, doesn't it? Is AI is going to take our jobs and we're all in trouble? I'm trying not to swear. We're all in, in for a really difficult time, is the polite way of putting it. I but think it's then, like, just have a little bit of a think about your job and go, yeah. it's my job really, really repetitive, and could it be easily unpicked by an algorithm? And then if you answer yes to that question, you won't have a job. <laughs> That's basically the situation. Yeah, well, to, just to add fuel to the fire, 352 experts responded to an Oxford University study on the future of humanity. Um and the results aren't good, Jim. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. What makes them experts, you know? The, 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 the culture of expert, you know, is about information imbalance. As long as they've open-sourced their research papers, then they're only as good as the next Google search I make. Well, indeed. And, and was it Farage or Gove that said, I think we've had enough of experts, but... Um, but I'm going to talk about the views of some experts now. So and, then, and then, to be fair, it's like if if the next week he, he had uh, had needed heart surgery, he'd probably be like, get me an expert, get me the best expert in the country. Yeah, what a surprise? And that's because surgeons don't get replaced till the 2050s, do they? So no, no, indeed. <laughs> so, a couple of key headlines for you: the experts polled expect that AI will outperform humans in tasks such as translating languages by 2024. And language translation. I mean, frankly, Google does a better job of that than most people do already. So that's not too weird, I guess. I suppose that's most people that aren't translators. Yeah, right. However, things advance. So writing high school essays, the computers will do better than we do by 2026. I guess high school essays, the bar's pretty low. I think the thing about that is you'd need two algorithms, wouldn't you? One to like write a better essay and one to make sure the teacher can't work out. It's <laughs> not being done by a to, bot. D, to dedupe it, yeah. And then as we carry on, driving a truck by 2027, that felt like a long time to me. I, I've seen proof of concepts of that this year. So I'm surprised they think it'll take that long for them to be better than humans. But I guess negotiating a you know small alley or something might be difficult. I've seen that Dolph and Volvo ad. Uh, I think it's going to take a while for a bot to look like that. <laughs> yes, indeed. And, um, you know, however, robots will be performing jobs better than humans in retail by 2031. Yeah, I mean, retail was a tough gig. I mean, when I worked in our price, I got £3.91 an hour. It was hard to stay committed for that kind of money. (laughs) Well, the robots will be committed regardless. Um, But again, 2031 feels like quite a while. Unless they work it out. Oh, wow. They're like, I want a better bot job. I need a pay rise. (laughs) That'll be the day. Um, But this is where things get really, uh, I guess, accelerate and get a little bit terrifying. So they reckon an AI will be able to write a best-selling book by 2049, which hopefully is in all of our lifetimes. That is good. Um, and last but by no means least, the surgeons who you mentioned, they reckon there'll be better surgeons than humans are. And that's not just like one bit of the surgical process. That's the whole thing by 2053. So That's incredible. What's that? 30 years from now, give or take, we we won't have surgeons anymore. I wonder if the best-selling book part is just because they get really good at programmatic advertising and the book itself <laughs> is rubbish, but the acquisition strategy that it's come up with is really Exceptional media <laughs> placement. Yeah, yeah. The retargeting, second to none. Uh, yeah which maybe you could still do that already (laughs) you you know you get a lot of people to buy it before they've read it (laughs) yeah yeah so there we go that was the the Oxford University's Future of Humanity study will AI take all of our jobs yes it will probably in about 50 years time even if you do something really complex so you know enjoy it while it lasts yeah there's still things left for us Um, so that's the news that's the news that's this month's news that is the news we would normally at this point have a story from your CTO oh but I do have one I, I know one? I gave you the impression I didn't have one earlier, but I uh, I caught up with my CTO specially, and he reminded me of a story that I'd would uh, i been p- party to this month. So, uh, just a quick one. So, at Wirehive, my business, we are replacing all of our laptops at the moment, going through that wonderful thing companies do sometimes, where they buy everybody a new laptop, and it's very exciting, and for about a week, and then no one remembers. And, and you're doing that as a single process. I know, right? Carnage, and a huge investment, but... One of the things we love doing at WireHive is making everything on brand in our, our lovely orange W that we like to stick on everything. And so we decided we'd commission some bespoke laptop skins for the sort of back of our laptops. And any normal person would come up with a design, go online and pay, I don't know, what do they cost, £10 each or something to have have them custom made? No idea. If you have enough brilliant money, right, to get them done. No, I'm afraid not. In the world of a CTO... The far more logical way to handle that requirement is to purchase a vinyl cutter and program it to create and cut its own ones. He then knocked up eight proofs and laid them out in reception for people to vote on which they thought was the best. He also has managed to cut a number of other things for people. I know that one of our team now has a Batman on the back of his phone. So, so Jim, what would you like in vinyl, my friend? Oh, that's a great question. I'm, I'm excited Alexa, stop this. logo. Let's let's do the Alexa stop logo in vinyl, can, okay? Because that would need some. Are we going to be able to get the audio noises coming away? Oh, mate, we can we can do it all. I'm excited by this. CTOs have no limits. I feel like he's made a good choice here. Me and, too. And, and it's computer cut, is it? So yeah, yeah. It doesn't like it. Doesn't come with a scalpel or anything. No, no. That's that's the joy of it. Is it? it um, he's got all the kit he needs to lay it all out in Photoshop or something, and just press a button, and out it comes. I tell you what, you should do. You should build an API for it, so other people oh, and your God. customers can vinyl cut things automatically on your vinyl cutting machine. I think that would only be worthwhile if we could come up with a way of them automatically being stuck to something. <laughs> Oh, then you have to build a little robot to Maybe help with that part. Maybe 2030 the for the self, self-final cutting robot. I, I'm excited by that story. So there we go. That's, uh, that's the life of a CTO for this month. The life of a CTO. So um, next part of the show is uh, something from the hype curve, um, which feels like it should have some sort of like ooh, noise. Uh, and now it does. Uh, and I guess now it does. We have been sticking on the same topic from the hype curve for a few weeks, which is the quantified self. And the reason that we've stuck with it is because it's left. The hype curve. uh, And it's now part of mainstream life is that we all want to count everything about ourselves. I did a gluten test live on the last program, which was painful, and I couldn't get enough blood out of myself to make the sample work. So it was laborious (laughs) for you listening to it and probably editing it as well. I'm trying to jump in because it was just hilarious, and I thought it would make terrible radio, but actually I think in the edit it, it was pretty entertaining. So if you've not had a chance to listen to my co-host Drawing Blood live on air, then do check out the last episode, Digital Cocaine. Well, got there in the end, and the good news was Jim is not wheat intolerant. but not. I've been drinking so much more beer <laughs> since then. I've just been laying into the beer I'm going... Drink- yeah, this is awesome. I mean, I can see half a pint right now. And so far, every time I've seen Jim since the, gl- the gluten test, he's had a pint with him. So, you know, I'd like to think it's all the time. So we were moving on to a bit of quantified self about you. We're going to do a DNA test. We were. So I purchased the 23andMe DNA test and I spat in a tube for 10 minutes in my office. For 10 minutes? Yeah, it's quite a lot of spit, mate. You need to get in there. Or are you just like a small spitter? <laughs> <laughs> moving on i so i filled the quite large plastic tube with saliva uh, and posted it to a, a lab in canada and where, do you know what crimes you've committed now i yes where i understand their initial process thanks to their very sophisticated online portal is replication so they create more dna from my dna so they have enough to do all kinds of different tests on they can make more of you i know i'm really i mean they do say they keep it forever which is kind of worrying. But unfortunately, it takes four to six weeks to get the result back. So uh, I guess next month, hopefully, we'll have the results and we'll, we'll cover those together and find out, I don't know, whatever interesting things we can from my DNA. It's because your DNA is so complicated, Rob. You know, it's, there's, there's going to be so many things in there. And you're going to do it live, aren't you? You're gonna, you're gonna, I am We'll do the reveal live. And it tells you like about diseases you might get and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. So this <laughs> is either going to be really funny or quite morbid, but we'll, we'll find out next, out next month. Check back next month and see if I'm going to die young. And um, so, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, you've, you've made 27 already, so you can't be in the cool gang. Um, so you may as well last for a while. Yeah, definitely still 27. We'll get you the best help we possibly can. I think actually you've already got the best help you can possibly have. It's right in this room. So I think so. Um, <laughs> I took it to a dark place there. So let's move on quickly. So retro tech I'd like to bring back for this month. And uh, I think you had one for, for, the, for us this month, didn't you? Well, it's only just gone away, if I'm honest. But uh, paint is being ended. Yeah, although did you see that apparently as a sort of almost like a I don't know, like a the love stories that got written about Paint from the community, Microsoft have changed their stance on this. So Microsoft Paint that's been on every Windows PC since 95, since before since Windows existed. Like it's just been part of Windows and uh, the preserve of many penis drawing school children up and down the land for for decades. And, well, Microsoft said they were going to pull paint, and there was this kind of uproar in the community. And they've actually said that as a result of that, the 32-year-old program, which is how long it's been around for, wow. is going to be available on the Windows Store. So, unfortunately, uh, school children will no longer be able to have their phallic desires, where am I going with this, satisfied? <laughs> it's a strange combination of By words. paint. <laughs> <laughs> By paint. They'll have to use Snapchat. They'll have to use Snapchat, Yes as I'm sure they all do now anyway. But um, yeah, it'll be available, listener, for you, should you wish to download it on Windows Store Forevermore, which is great news. And the reason I love it is because uh, there's a guy called Jim Will Paint It uh, who you can send briefs to who will paint pretty much anything you request. And, and that's just sort of bring, brought a whole sort of level of joy to what the power of creativity can do with paint. Indeed. And Jim Will Paint It did a special montage as a sort of revival treat to, uh, to paint. So do check out Jim Will Paint It. Well worth a Google. Uh, yeah, well, so that we're, we're at that time in the programme where we should probably invite a guest into the studio who's already in the studio. <laughs> I think we should. And so after the break, I look forward to welcoming Lawrence Webber, who'll be joining us to talk all things innovation. So we're back with you on Alexa Stop. Welcome to the studio, Lawrence Weber uh thank you for having me i'm I'm delighted and so um i, I want let's let's like do a bit of an intro for you so we 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 found online like several bios of you uh and um my favorite one was on the drum um but but I'll tell you why in a minute i'm gonna hand over to rob to do to do some intro. To do some intro, well... um, How do you know Lawrence? How do I know Lawrence? I'm not going to read the bio. I'm going to talk about Lawrence as I know him, and we'll see how close I get in a minute when you cross-examine him on his multiple bios. So, Lawrence I met through Kamarama, which is an amazing ad agency, all-round great agency, really. They've sort of acquired lots of other bits along the way and, and have got a pretty great full service these days. Lawrence heads up innovation there, and I saw Lawrence speak at a couple of events and just thought he was a really both entertaining but very knowledgeable speaker on the subjects of innovation and emerging technology. Uh, more recently, I've also become part of the Beamer Council with Lawrence. So I, I cover the region of the South, Beamer and Lawrence heads up the emerging technology think tank. And I was lucky enough to spend some time with Lawrence in Texas last year, along with our friend Adam Graham from Episode 2 at the South by Southwest Festival. So an all-round good egg and one of the finest minds in innovation in the UK at the moment. That's a good
1: billing, isn't it? Yeah, I'm, I'm, Yeah, if I live up to it, I'm doing well.
0: It sounds great. So uh, there's, there's some other great things in, in, your, in your LinkedIn profile. So that, that's got a uh, member of Google's Creative Council. There's uh, things about the IPA, uh, stuff to do with Can Lions and, and, and lots of the publications that you write in. So some awesome stuff there. But what I particularly loved was uh, in your, your drum uh, bio, uh, the, the, the focal point at the end of it is how you're doing some projects with iBeacons yes um, so I, I want to hear about an iBeacon project
1: um, so uh, I get some ribbing for my uh, liking for iBeacons um, this is some extra <laughs> <laughs> this is some extra ribbing and I feel like it could be the, some of the fiercest ribbing I've had about iBeacons ever um, we we did a project it was the first project that I did with another one of Rob uh, Robin and I's mutual friends uh, Peter DeLukinoff from the NICE agency whereby we put iBeacons on ice cream cabinets and, um, and found a way that that would uh, encourage people to buy more ice creams and to spend more time being friends with each other and it's a, it, was, a it was it was a, it was a successful combo that has been much written about
0: it's a, yeah and that's fantastic because i've seen plenty of lame attempts at using guy beacons that have failed miserably so the fact that you managed to create a combination that meant more ice cream was eaten is good for me
1: yeah it's to be honest the the metric of more ice cream eaten is the one that i'm most proud of anything in my career i love ice cream what's your favorite ice cream flavor that's a really good question. Um, I've just come back from a holiday in France, and so it changed. It was always quite bog standard strawberry, but it's now uh, chestnut. Wow. Oh, very, yes. very French. Yes. Marron, I believe it is in France. That is uh, badly pronounced. I feel like I've been educated in high school. Well, that's it. I'm done. No, mic, just, mic drop.
0: That is a mic drop moment. I mean, I was going to go pistachio, but I love hazelnut.
1: Ooh. Oh, hazelnut. That's we're, good.
0: We're, we love a bit of nut ice cream. I around. actually think a combination yeah. of Chestnut all not three would... Nuts, but would <laughs> well, we'll let him have it. But uh, I would not Or, or it you, right. rather. But I think a combination of the three would be spectacular. So maybe some sort of ice cream party. A order. trio of nut ice creams. A nut trio. Indeed. <laughs> Um, we should probably do some talking about something that relates to what the show's about. I mean, because we're here really to talk about how technology is changing people's lives. And that's really what Alexa stops about. And one of the things that, that you do loads of work on, and uh, it's even in your job title, uh, is uh, uh, work around innovation and particularly innovation in digital. But what, what I think it'd be really good to sort of get to is, what is innovation?
1: That's a, that's a good and quite loaded question. Uh, I think some of the people who I work with would like to know the answer to that as well. Um, My definition of innovation is executing things that clients have not done before. So I think, firstly, the execution bit is really important because innovation without execution is going to conferences, which is fun, but it kind of doesn't really get you anywhere, potentially other than on this podcast, so maybe I shouldn't uh, shouldn't slate it. And broadly, what we mean by innovation is trying to do test things quickly that a client's not done before that they at some point might decide to make part of, if you were being grand, their, their roadmap or something they might want to implement and make the, put into the core of their business.
0: And so in that definition... Um one person's innovation could be something that someone did five years ago. Yes. If it's, it, because it's innovative for them as an organisation.
1: Yeah, I think so because I think it's interesting you talked about the hype cycle. So, the creative industry's version of innovation is often how do we take a combination of brand new things that no one has done before, do them, shoot a video of them, send that video to Cannes, and then spend a week in the south of France, which I have no objection to. Sounds great. E- it sounds e- great. E- well, people, people, people listening to this are going, where do I sign up for that? But what you end up with is 3D, 3D printed chocolate drones, which I think is one definition of innovation. But if you want to have a more are meaningful. They uh, hopefully, because that that would be innovation. In fact, I think we should invent that after this podcast. So we'd, be, we'd be well set. Um, but I think if your definition is trying to make change, uh, differences to businesses, then you've got to go slightly beyond that. So, yeah, but to your point, one client's version of innovation could be something that another client had done three years ago, but that those people hadn't put into their business.
0: And so... It's interesting you talk about the kind of appetite people have for innovation. So do you find that that's one of the biggest barriers in your industry around, you know, when you're trying to bring innovative ideas to the table? I guess you kind of need someone sat on the other side of the of, of the pitch table who's up for it, right? Who, who's got that kind of, can see the bigger picture and is up for doing something unproven and taking a bit of a punt and maybe being a pioneer. How, how much does that factor into it for you?
1: Um, I, I think... Um... Unless you have that person, so whether it's an internal project or a or an agency working for a client, it, you you can't really do meaningful innovation at all. So part of it is being quite um, careful about how you qualify what might be a project and qualifying who might be a person to collaborate or work with, because if they're not up for doing something genuinely new, then you're better off finding someone else right. to do that with, which makes the um, potentially makes the kind of the sales cycle if you want to use that word of doing an innovation project more torturous than selling in something that someone's done before
0: and what do you feel about that sort of that sort of thing that companies come to you with which is i want you to make the whole organization more innovative
1: yeah that's something that we have done tangentially there are there are plenty of businesses that will do what they probably call you know transformational change or changing culture i think that's really important i think I think, ultimately, you can do a few one-off projects, but then um, unless or until the main corporate body or business adopts a proper culture of innovation, it kind of stays around the edges. So I think cultural change is really important, although it is quite hard, which is why I... I, um, teeter on the brink of doing it and then stop because it feels like too much like hard work because
0: that, that feels like one of the big sort of <clears throat> topics of conversation where you know there's that whole sort of you know the guy that worked at Kodak, Steve Sassoon I think he was who invented the digital camera yeah. but then the project was killed because it was going to cut off film sales and that's like the story that like, you sort of see rolled out but then sure. characters tales of that stuff right over the yeah. years gone by and then people sort of talk about perhaps or don't talk so much about like Fuji who perhaps were more had a more innovative culture and continued to be relevant um, and so I don't know if I find that sort of like really fascinating like how you, it's difficult at, at the pace of change. It's difficult to stay relevant just as an organisation, isn't
1: it? Yeah, I think so. I can't remember the name of um, of the software company that does this, um, and you can probably do something clever in, in the edit and insert it, insert their name in a funny voice, but. There are uh, as a company that has demanded that 10% of its revenue has to come from a business unit or a product that doesn't currently exist when they're doing that business planning, which kind of forces people to think about new things, or they don't hit financial targets and don't get bonuses and potentially get fired. So that that's an example of a CEO going, um, business, innovation is key part of business and therefore we all have to find it rather than four people in the corner in an R&D lab tinkering and then not having the main bit of the business be interested in what they produce. So sort of
0: acknowledging that it's a key lifeblood for the business and yeah. that without it they won't stay relevant and and continue to evolve and Exactly.
1: I think so uh, this week someone again was talking about Jeff Bezos and the vision for Amazon and I think he says something like every day is day 1 because the moment you kind of say that day 1 is done then you you start to slow down and you start to lose your impetus. And I think I think that's a it's quite easy for people to go uh, for people to single out Amazon as, as a success story and kind of venerate it. But I think that, that his amazing drive to kind of constantly do something new all of the time. And and the other thing that Amazon do really well is the, the barrier for putting a business plan together is really quite low. So it's a one pager. And then you don't have to get everyone in a company to buy in. Everyone around the boardroom to buy into an idea at Amazon. You just get. You need enough people who will come and work on the project with you. So it stops the corporate culture of kind of stopping innovation. So I think both of those things are quite are, are really interesting.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. We we so obviously at a much smaller scale. We have something where if, if I think if two people from a group think it's an alright idea we, we will back something yeah so.
1: which I, but I think that's really I think whatever size of business you are I think if you you have to have that culture of letting people go off and try stuff um, which is hard Because I think this whole fail fast, fail easy thing is really easy to say. And if you say to a client or even your boss, I'm going to go and do something and it could totally fuck up and you'll still back me, uh, a lot of people go, maybe, maybe maybe depends how much you fuck it up. Um, So, um, yeah, it's it, it, it takes a lot of bravery to do that.
0: I've been in a meeting this month, actually, where it's like, yeah, we're really trying to build this culture of being able to fail fast, but this is kind of the only idea that we've developed to a point, so it's really important that this one works, Yes. and,
1: and then after this yeah. one... This is your last chance to fail before failing fast becomes just failure. Yeah. yeah.
0: And, and so on that note, um, Karma was acquired by Accenture, what, a year ago now? Maybe even a little bit longer than that, 18 yeah. months?
1: Yeah. It was about about nine months ago. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Right.
0: Wow. It feels like years since, since then, but, um, you know, Karma was... It was news when we were all at Podge. It was news when we were all at Podge, wasn't it? I remember that. It was like every, it was all, it was all the talk, wasn't it? And um, mm. I think some of you were off toasting it somewhere else, and then you all came and joined P-
1: us P- potentially.
0: Um, <laughs> I, I, I guess Karma for me was always an agency that was seen as a real sort of shining light creatively, and and, and all that that entailed, including innovation and, and other stuff. You talk a bit about corporate culture and Amazon. Um, how have you found ble- like? How have you found that process? Have you has the acquisition by Accenture enabled you to be more innovative? Are you having to be more conservative now in your approach to innovation? Some of the bigger global clients that you're no doubt working with as a result, what's their appetite like for innovation? I just what, give us a few sentences. On yeah. That.
1: So um, the, the 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 key thing that we decided, um, or key thing we wanted from a new partner was someone that was going to respect the culture that those listeners that know karmarama will know that we've always been independent the uh, you know our office has a certain flavor to it our culture is very strong without it being too forced and um interactive talk about culture of cultures which actually i have to be honest after nine months has kind of borne through it's great um i kind of liken it to being um uh to to kind of being going from being kind of an individual to playing team sports there are still individuals who are very good at their own thing but when you bring all of those people together you get to do some quite awesome stuff and you know we have access to, to to not necessarily bigger clients but clients with different types of briefs and i think the key thing for us is trying to is trying to do that thing that I think the industry has been trying to do for a long time, which is to bring creativity and technology together mm-hmm. at, at, at the very kind of top table, which is why it was kind of an exciting thing for us. So I, I can resolutely say uh, so far so good.
0: <laughs> well, that's great news. Um, so, uh, the, talking of uh, innovation in general, uh, you also uh, run something called Innovation Social. Yes, I do. Tell us about
1: it. Uh, I, firstly, for fear of being attacked by the lovely lady who I run it with, Nadia Powell. Nadia founded it with a man called Daniele, who founded Creative Social. And then for the last kind of nine months, myself and a couple of other people have been helping Nadia, run it. But essentially, Innovation Social, I think I once described it as kind of Alcoholics Anonymous for people who wanted to do things differently. So for me, it started off as a um, as a therapy group for people who were trying to do things differently, and sometimes came up against the barriers, some of which we've just talked about. Yeah. My name's
0: um, Lawrence Weber, uh, and, uh, an yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I'm an innovator. Exactly,
1: my name's Lawrence Weber, and I'm an innovator. And so it started off, and I hope it always will be, between 30 and 70 people meeting up once every four months to have some beers and to listen to each other talk about stuff they've done so what we broadly try and do is do four events a year they're quarterly they're free the beer is paid for by the agency that hosts it and we pick a theme we have a uh, the next meeting we have in september the themes all around how i think kind of video and the obsession with short form video is killing off interactivity and immersion in our industry which is my kind of pet hate uh, at the moment and also Um, your pitch
0: for South by Southwest and also
1: coincidentally I've managed to turn the next innovation social event into a dry run for for, uh, hopefully the talk I might get to do at South by Southwest so we do that once every quarter Uh, we have a Christmas curry Um, where we all go somewhere off brick lane and get as many people together. And it's very informal, but everyone does five-minute stories. And then once a year, we do a um, quite informal but paid-for mini-conference. So it's just about trying to keep that community of people together um, to talk um, talk about innovation generally.
0: And what's the best thing that's happened to you because of being involved
1: with it? The best thing... Um, that's a really good question I, I think the best thing was putting on um putting on our last conference just because um so it was innovation stories innovation right? stories yeah. which is our kind of half uh, kind of half day conference it, it at, at that point at that point um we realized that innovation social had become um Big enough draw that we could invite some genuinely really interesting people to come and speak, and so yes. that realization that something you were doing at least a hundred people gave gave, an, uh, gave, gave a, a cared enough about uh, that, that they would come along was kind of a, you know really good moment.
0: Awesome. And I, so I was at the the last innovation social all about uh, the Can Lion this year, which I thought was fascinating. So Nadia, your partner in crime, was a judge right for yeah. the Innovation Lions, part of Can. And as someone that didn't go to Cannes and has always been a little bit sceptical of Cannes as a tech guy as opposed to a kind of ad guy, um, I thought it was such an interesting event. And so what they did was they, they brought together a sort of pretty diverse mix of speakers to just cover the weird and the wonderful submissions to the Innovation Lion. And the, the highlight for me... Probably twofold, partly because of the project and partly because of how he presented. It was a Swedish guy who joined us via Skype from a ferry.
1: In, <laughs> that's very on innovation the, On the coast
0: of Finland somewhere, <laughs> um, with like the wind blowing. And he was telling us all about the amazing project called Humanium, which yeah. um, for, if you haven't seen it, listener, please Google Humanium. It's uh, essentially like a new metal that's been created. And if you use Humanium in your product, you know that all of the metal that, that you're buying has been created by destroying illegal arms. So, like having a really major impact on the world, also uh, you know a big kind of ecological piece around recycling the huge huge amount of metal that previously was being destroyed. Just incredible insight there, and there were all kinds of other things that we talked about that were just truly fascinating. From Intel Firework Drones, and then on the other end of the spectrum, there was a, a life vest that when you it was like a rash vest for Australian children, and when you unzip it, it had the instructions for cpr written on it right which is kind of like quite analog but yeah. also very innovative innovative rather in saving lives so i guess that's a little cross-section of the sort of thing that goes on at innovation social but a really amazing group and, and something that if you work in the industry and you're interested please do get in contact the website's just gone live uh, and it's a truly amazing group to be part of so let's just sort of talk a bit more generally about some innovation uh, thoughts and things um, do you ever think, as someone that works in innovation, that uh, I want to join an 1856 community
1: and get away from all of this? <laughs> um, I do. I tell you what, I have definitely become more aware, particularly because I have two children, two daughters who are nine and five, about the effect that staring at screens has, not only on you know dull, probably slightly unimportant things like eyesight, but you know family communication. So we're quite strict. With our kids about certain times they can't watch screens, which in effect has made us think that potentially we should be stricter with ourselves. So I definitely think a kind of a part of the day that is analog um, or at least is watching Netflix, which is not quite analog, but isn't, you know, isn't <laughs> isn't isn't second screening and um, is probably quite important. Um, having been away on holiday for a week and not watch television at all, and not really use my phone that much, I found it. I feel like plunging back into it has had an effect on uh, on my uh, on my mental wellbeing. So potentially,
0: there was a new term, wasn't there? Was it, is it was it Zenial? The people that grew up with an analog childhood and a digital adulthood. I'm I'm in the age so between yes. um, the just before millennials huh. space. Well, I think that's a better way of identifying it, right? I mean, because I'm technically millennial, 84 birthday, but I never really felt like that. the way millennials are described fits me because I definitely have that one foot in analogue as well. Yeah, I can be if I choose my definition very carefully. (laughs) If I choose the right university, then I can can can, be a different category, uh, which is one of the wonderful things about having competing people for these sorts of things. Uh, Yeah, so uh, another question I wanted to uh, ask about is just like, what's some of the best stuff you've seen recently?
1: I'm really, although you've been talking about it on this uh, podcast in, in a kind of a threaten our jobs way, which I think is is at the to your point, Rob it is one of the narratives of AI and is the one that gets people quite scared and therefore gets them quite excited seeing more and more people apply artificial intelligence to some really interesting things so I loved that guy who decided to use AI as a way to get everyone out of all their parking fines and he's he's moved on to another project I think in the US where he's trying to find homeless people places to um, sleep so and there's a refugee that, one yeah, as a well. refugee that was one. like the
0: lawyer chatbot right it Was a lawyer jump through all the hoops it, to it, dispute the claims it, yeah. and to be fair whilst we took the job cutting angle today we, we've also previously talked about how AI is going to create a new renaissance
1: yes so, and, and, and I I think So one thing, potentially just because of who I am, but also because of having been at Kamarama for a long time, we're quite interested in the whole kind of tech for good thing. So I think technology gets this slightly bad reputation for being something that's going to take people's jobs and that takes your privacy and security and your data and leaves you with some uh, cat GIFs and some pictures of babies on Facebook. Um, and actually I think it it can, to your point solve problems. And so the, the stuff I really like is the um, the examples of uh, the stuff that can you just talked about. but um, uh, some amazing startups coming out who are trying to solve really quite complex medical problems using AI. So that's that's generally my my kind of favorite stuff at the moment is people using technology for genuine good. And if I was going to take you back, so we're going to change what your job is in life, actually. Uh, So we're going to make you a
0: careers advisor. Um, Brilliant! And you're working in a secondary school. Yeah, uh, and you've got a group of fourteen Eight carpets. <laughs> yeah. those horrible yeah. ceiling tiles. Yeah,
1: I've, I'm imagining I have a comb over already. <laughs> yeah,
0: there it is. And, and there's still acorn Archimedes. There's no yeah. reason for that, <laughs> no, but yeah. they just are. Um, and you've learned to program Basic on it, where you can draw circles sequentially. Um, and uh, you, I'm taking you back to that moment where you're in the careers advisory room. So you, you, you've got a group of sort of fourteen or fifteen year olds coming into you, and and I was told to be either a fence erector or an army fitness instructor or a navy fitness instructor i remember those are my two. Be very specific you career. definitely wouldn't
1: have wanted to be an army one right?
0: and <laughs> um, what would you be saying to those 14 and 15 year olds about the the direction they should take with their career
1: i think i would encourage them to do um, study i wouldn't encourage them to do computer science i'd encourage them to study things like philosophy and sociology and psychology because I think people who develop proper kind of emotional intelligence will be the people that learn to work with AI, and whose skills will allow them to flourish. I think teaching kids to code is controversially a little bit of a waste of time because by the time they get into the workplace, the the, the first thing that AI will learn to do surely is to code. You can chef's sales. Yeah, saying? I think I potentially. If I have a nine-year or nearly ten-year-old daughter. Mm-hmm. And in eight years' time, if she decides to go to university, I will tell her to go and do a potentially outrageously useless a humanity subject and to study humanity rather than trying to learn how to make a piece of you know programmatic ad tech.
0: Yeah, that's. I mean, that's really fa- fascinating because I think you know the, the sort of maybe the sort of comparable example is that there was a time when people got taught Word Perfect, um, and, uh, <laughs> yes. and, and Word Perfect five point one doesn't help you much in the workplace anymore. No. Not so much. Um, So there's a topic that we haven't talked about at all that we're going to cover today. Uh, That is cryptocurrencies and blockchain. And we kind of need to get back to basics on this stuff. Uh, Where am I going to go first? Rob, what on earth is blockchain? What is blockchain? That's a great question, Jim. Well, blockchain and cryptocurrencies are kind of intertwined. And it it talks about a new type of technology that's based on a a principle cryptography, which is kind of around how encryption works. So most people use encryption every day without realising when they go to a secure website or they type a password in on their phone. Uh, Most people that have Macs, for example, have their hard disks fully encrypted. And what that means is that the data is sort of obfuscated using maths, essentially, and processor power. And encryption you have something called a key length, and I'm being I'm sort of, this is like the GCSE biology version in terms of how simplistic I'm, I'm taking it to make it kind of accessible. But, to um, me, Rob, to accessible to me. To make it accessible to you, Jim. So essentially, you take your data, which is, in this case might be a password, and you, rather than just storing it in what people call plain text, which means if you happen to find that record, you could read it, you encrypt it, which means that you sort of mangle it up into... Nonsense, which you have can use a very specific code to kind of unencrypt it again afterwards. So, um that's kind of where cryptography started, and it was used all the way back in you know the Second World War and the whole Enigma machine and and all of that stuff to um, to code messages for army communication and so on. But these days, cryptography is kind of at the heart of all kinds of different amazing pieces of innovation, and and one of those which is changing our world as we know it is is blockchain. And and when when most people say blockchain what they really mean is Bitcoin. And actually, blockchain kind of has a separate application that maybe we'll talk about a bit too. So blockchain is the underlying technology, Bitcoin is a usage of it. So Bitcoin is an implementation. So let's talk a bit about Bitcoin. Bitcoin turned up about six or seven years ago as this crazy new idea. What happened was a Japanese guy created some code that was kind of like this perfect model for creating a currency using cryptography. So the idea is that this program, let's call it, creates these coins, which are kind of entities that can be owned by somebody. And they get mined, right? And yeah, they get mined. So the the amazing thing about Bitcoin is that there's a finite number of coins that can ever be mined. And the, the more of them that get mined, the harder the next one is to find. And mining in this context is using computing resource. So using the processing power you have in your computer to solve some difficult math problems. And if you solve enough of those problems, then you're rewarded a coin for for the effort. So essentially, you're trading electricity and computing hardware for the opportunity to receive a Bitcoin. Bitcoin. So when this started out, everyone thought this was nonsense and the difficulty was really low because there were very few people mining. So there are all these amazing stories now of people who mined, you know, hundreds of Bitcoins in a few days on their home PCs back in the day and just threw them away because they thought they were worth nothing. And to be fair, at that point, they were. But what these guys were betting on is that in the future, there was going to be a real demand for a type of currency which is decentralized and beyond the reach of government. So essentially a deregulated currency. Yes, yeah, so it has like a distributed ledger, right? So it's like imagining my notebook and sort of simultaneously in lots of different places stuff gets written into lots of notebooks. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. And and it's immutable, so no one can alter it or or malform it. And so there's this kind of real safety to using it for transactions. And that's because if someone alters part of it, that shows up in the chain. Right, which invalidates the transaction. So it has lots of kind of baked in stuff about fraud prevention and, and other kind of favorable things. It's also much easier to move. You know, it's it's purely digital. So there's no, no gold bullion to worry about keeping in a vault or anything like that. And Bitcoin's actually being sort of referred to more as gold than as a, a currency. It's a really good value store. So if you imagine you were someone who might keep millions of pounds in gold, keeping it in Bitcoin instead actually is a much safer and easier way to do it and Bitcoin now is also being used as a means of purchasing things. We talked about at the top of the show with my furniture purchase. So um, you can purchase access to your ransomware computer back You can. using Bitcoin. You can indeed. The largest online delivery company for food in Poland recently started accepting Bitcoin. Uh, I happen to know as a number of other countries are starting to introduce it. And, and many people think it's a matter of when Amazon will introduce it, not if. And do they deliver to Richmond? Sadly, no. Warsaw, though, <laughs> I, I'd, I'd imagine. But um, I, I guess I'm trying to stay away from getting into the detail of it. I've got to say, I've already broken a sweat. Okay. Well, the one thing I'll say then, just to, to finish on Bitcoin, is that if you imagine that a fiat currency, so a pound sterling, US dollar, etc., is owned by a government, right? And it only has a value because a government says so. Pound note is just a piece of paper, right? That a government says has a value and has an exchange rate and so forth. Now, the issue is, a government at any time can quantitative ease a currency which devalues it. So if the Bank of England decides they want to print more sterling tomorrow, all the sterling in our pockets is immediately worth less. So if you're, you imagine you're a fund manager with, I don't know, 100 million pounds of pension money in sterling, you don't really want to not have control over things like quantitative easing. So that's just another example of how a deregulated currency that is truly decentralized is so powerful because it has this fixed value, which in theory should only appreciate over time as it becomes more and more finite. So it looks like a very interesting opportunity. And uh, that's probably enough from me on Bitcoin. Lawrence, what are your thoughts?
1: Well, I have a question, Rob. If decentralizing it means that governments have less control of it, is it not a worry that no one has control over it? That, that potentially could send us down some philosophical rabbit holes. Well, it's
0: a big but- question because actually there's a community and it's been a bumpy month in the Bitcoin community, so it's a, that's a good jumping off point to talk about that. So you're absolutely right, Lawrence, and that, that is a concern. And so um, the power is actually with the miners, the people who wield the majority of the mining power or hashing power as it's referred to. Hashing is a cryptography term. They're largely in China and actually there's a, a sort of three or four organisations that hold significant weight. And Where they choose to put their hashing power is a real bartering chip because the scale of hashing power is one of the really important Mm -hmm. things that makes currencies relevant. Anyone could start a cryptocurrency tomorrow based on blockchain technology. It's all open source, a lot of it. But the, the, the thing that makes it hard to... Dethrone something like Bitcoin is the incredible amount of hashing power that's dedicated to it and how far through the chain they are in terms of how much of it's been mined already because as as the chain gets more difficult it becomes more stable right because the increase in coins available becomes much slower in terms of the, the new coins entering the market and on the 1st of August there was a fork in the Bitcoin chain which was a really big event called USAF which was the user activated soft fork it stood for and what that meant was that if these two main bodies in the Bitcoin community couldn't agree yeah. <laughs> A resolution to the particular issue they had around how to scale Bitcoin to make transaction costs lower and a bit faster. There was a bit of a queue, wasn't there? There was, there was a queue building up on some stuff. Well, well the problem was largely that a tra- like a like a bit long post office queue. <laughs> yeah, it's basically what happened yeah, in Bitcoin. Of, yeah, it was about right. And, and what <laughs> what that meant was that transaction fees were, were were climbing, which meant it got to about three to five dollars per transaction. And but that wasn't the big problem. The big problem actually was it was taking around an hour for a, a transaction to be verified. And the vision of Bitcoin was the 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 money for the internet and if you imagine a real-time purchase of something it's not really good enough to have to wait an hour for that transaction to be verified particularly if you're trying to use it to purchase coffee over the counter in a shop or something like that so anyway how to solve that problem caused a lot of dispute in the community and because there was no leader who could say this is the way we're going it caused a bit of a stalemate actually And many people thought it would be the demise of Bitcoin. And so there's been a really turbulent month in the crypto industry as everyone's been waiting to see how this this fork was going to go. They didn't agree, or rather they agreed to disagree and to go in their separate directions, which is what the fork was. And so on the 1st of August, Bitcoin Cash, which is a fork from Bitcoin, great name, came to be. And actually, so far, both coins have increased in value significantly. Everyone that owned Bitcoin is very happy because if you owned one Bitcoin, you now own one Bitcoin cash as well because of the way a chain fork works. So I guess the hope is that communities will come together in the interests of the technology. So far, so good. We'll see how that plays out. But it's a really good question and very pertinent. So you said you had some strong opinions on on the world of uh, uh, cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin. You've heard Rob talk about it for a little while. What, what's your take on this?
1: So I, I think there's, there's two things. I think one is on Bitcoin. I think it's really interesting that it takes powers away from government, and I think a bit like AI, there needs to be a wider conversation outside of people like us doing podcasts and the, you know, the general kind of tech community about what these technologies mean for the man in the street. So I, I think. People are starting to realise what the impact of AI might be. I still think Bitcoin and blockchain are still shrouded in the mystery of, um, you know, it might get onto news night. It probably won't get onto uh, onto the onto the 10 o'clock news and it definitely won't make it onto um, that, that programme Piers Morgan does that I always turn off because I don't like Piers Morgan. Good morning, Britain. Yeah. Uh, I was going to
0: say, what that with his co host who hates him. Yeah, with the co host who hates him.
1: Yeah, a bit like Bitcoin Cash and Bitcoin, they see. Yeah, yeah,
0: but Jeremy Kyle's been filling in this week, which is like a step down, isn't it? So, step, step, step down, down from, from Piers Morgan. Piers Morgan. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> That, that, that sounds like it could be a program or a podcast in its own right. Step <laughs> down from Piers Morgan. Oh, yeah. Maybe that's a new feature every yeah. month. I was going to bring it back to this Piers, this, 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 to Piers Morgan then. I was going to bring it back to Bitcoin. Um, so at the point where we've got AI trading Bitcoin, uh, you know, where are we? It's like, you know, the, the, the AI is deciding what to trade and what not to trade. Uh, and it's making choices. Or maybe the AI decides to start its own cryptocurrency with your entire pension fund.
1: Well, I, I think if you speak to most people in the city, I have some friends who work in the city, the majority of their job is done by an algorithm anyway, which yep. is the mystery of what people who don't work in the city who have friends that do, you wonder what they actually do that keeps them in the office for 14 watch hours a day. Screens. They watch the screens. avidly. And when things go red, they thump the table and, and, and the go to that Wetherspoons are... near Liverpool Street Station.
0: <laughs> and, of course, there have been examples uh, around sort of uh, Brexit and general election recently where uh, the algorithms don't cater for the situation and we see really weird fluctuations because yeah. we broke the algorithm,
1: I, I think it's interesting because the, the day we're we're recording this is the 10th anniversary of the Beaker crash, and I and I think that was again a an example of uh, you know in, in that case the financial sector shrouding itself in all sorts of convoluted systems that no one understood that then fell apart and then wider society had to pay for it. Yeah, wrapping and, bad uh, things uh, in bad things, wrapping bad things and bad things, which would seem to be even easier potentially with the world of ai and bitcoin but then maybe maybe i'm wrong
0: and of course the human impact of that was that they cancelled my credit card when i worked at barclays and uh, that was a terrible human impact that i felt (laughs) because i couldn't just take myself out to dinner whenever i wanted on that credit card
1: they've closed some libraries as (laughs) well but as a personal impact i think the credit card probably was was a greater one for you it was it was upsetting um,
0: and, uh, you know, uh, obviously the, the global impact uh, much bigger than the, my personal one, which was the cancelling of my credit card. Indeed. Needing an expense account is never a good situation in life. It's good that I don't want to be reemployed there, isn't it? Because, you know, I'll say these things flippantly and one day I'll be like begging for my job back. I won't. Um, cool. Uh, what should we talk about now? Have we covered blockchain well? Uh, I'm, I'm so, Yeah, I'm sort of pondering if there's anything else we can go in on. So maybe I could just quickly cover some of the other parts of the whole crypto landscape. Blockchain has given birth to Bitcoin, and Bitcoin is the thing that everybody knows it as. But the reason that blockchain is such a hot topic in the innovation space actually is not about cryptocurrencies. Yeah. It's about all the other ways you can use the technology to do amazing things. So the idea of a public ledger, right, this this immutable ledger that, that is fully transparent, opens up all kinds of really interesting opportunities. And if if Bitcoin is the number one implementation right now the number two is something called ethereum ETH, eth is its short name harder to say isn't it much harder to say and what ethereum or ether creates is rather than a kind of value store like gold it creates the ability for people to design these things called smart contracts and then the mining uh, power that people dedicate to ether is used to execute those contracts so it allows for much more flexible and innovative implementations of things basically And so some examples of that 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 could potentially change the world are things like the way property rental is done. So if you imagine right now that as a tenant, you have a contract with your landlord that if you pay your rent, they won't kick you out, right? And that your key will still work and so on. But it's tenuous, frankly. And and if they decided to evict you, it would end up in court and the whole thing's a bit difficult. Encode the whole thing in an Ethereum smart contract and you could create a situation whereby the lock on your door is somehow internet-connected, and that's very easy to do these days. I'm sure my CTO can knock that up for you in an afternoon. And the smart contract would create uh, an exchange of value whereby as long as your rent is paid by a given date, then the access code you have for your front door continues to work And so if you think about it, almost like an escrow service, and that's just one very basic example of the sort of things you can do with smart contracts. So, you know, blockchain is something that is revolutionizing all kinds of businesses and, you know, supply chain solutions for enterprise is another big example. Lawrence, I wondered if you've, been having any conversations around that side of the technology? Yes,
1: yeah, so I think actually the example you just brought up is interesting. So, and again, probably goes back to the conversation we're having around kind of tech for good. There's a really interesting startup called Provenance right. um, who are using blockchain to help companies understand their own supply chains. So for an example, a supermarket will put a... A piece of fish on a um, on a shelf, and using blockchain, you would be able to, or someone could provide a service that would allow you to trace that back to the person that caught it. So that that backs up sustainability claims, and so like
0: proving it, right? Like yeah, making exactly. it auditable,
1: maybe it. So that again is where I where I am. I am a techno optimist. Is that I think people will find interesting and and useful things to do with technology and i think you're right i think bitcoin is the is the son of celebrity offshoot of blockchain because it's money. And it was the first obvious thing for people to do is to do something with money. And now people are, you know, contracts and, um, you know, supply chain and all sorts of other, you know, people are talking about using it for DRM so that you can finally kind of, you know, potentially do away with a certain amount of DRM and even, even to a certain extent record companies, couple that with kind of streaming services. So there's, I think people use technology in, almost like building blocks together to form things that we haven't thought of so that's kind of my optimist view of what blockchain might lead to free free music and tuna it makes me think <laughs> that, the, that
0: the future series of a, a fake or fortune will be uh, much simpler yes uh, there'll be like fiona bruce will be there and she just like clicks on a computer and it like whips up a list of the provenance <laughs> yeah. of an, an old
1: picture yeah
0: and they go episode over
1: yeah They'll still have to design the person that delivers it to look a little bit like one of those um, antiques dealers in, in Camden Passage, in Islington, wherever it is. Exactly. Just so we, f- we feel they're, they're friendly.
0: There'll be like a sort of sad closing shot of her eating some tuna that she knows exactly where it came from. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Matalan in soft focus in the background. <laughs>
1: Beautiful.
0: Yeah. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a sort of very known future where we know where everything came from, but it's kind of cool. Like that's We've been seeking that out for a long time.
1: Yeah, although the ramifications of knowing where everything comes from is potentially worrying.
0: Yeah, you could have like a sort of, uh, it could attach to people, couldn't it? And you'd be like, it could show you the previous partners of someone. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. God.
1: Or, or whether you've actually done the things that are in your LinkedIn profile.
0: Yeah, yeah. Long pause from, <laughs> long, long pause of from
1: all of us. Um, Down with blockchain. Yeah, <laughs>
0: um, but, you know, look, I think, We've only scratched the surface of it today and we could talk for hours on the subject. And, you know, I hope if you if you've not kind of read into this stuff uh, prior to listening to us, rabbit on about it. You've heard enough to go and do some Googling and, and read more. There's so much amazing innovation going on in this space. The things that I know are coming out in the next 12 months will probably revolutionize the way people borrow money. The digital advertising and advertising blocking game is getting probably going to be shaken up. The guys behind uh, JavaScript and one of the Mozilla Firefox founders have created a, a token called BAT, uh, the attention token, which is a couple to the Brave browser, which looks like it might completely change the kind of ownership model around digital advertising. Mm-hmm. God, I could carry on for about an hour talking about all the different incredible implementations that are coming through now. So in terms of innovation in the world, I don't think there's really any more exciting area than the blockchain, in my opinion. I think AI is going to be incredible, but it's kind of going to come alongside that and probably really get into its stride in five or ten years. I think blockchain, we're going to see dramatic changes over the next few years around some of this stuff that's just never really been possible before. And I think, uh, you know, the, 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 these sort of things, I guess, from the hype curve that working together. And uh, I think, you know, th- this has been a great conversation. I think what we need to do is, like, make the, the ending of the program a bit more shallow. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kick off by, by saying, uh, is there anything else from the hype curve or that, that's sort of being talked about a lot that we've not covered already that you're very excited about, Lauren?
1: I'm genuinely very excited by both VR and AR. It's one of the reasons why I was quite keen to get involved with the Beamer uh, Immersive Tech Council is because I think finally we're going to see people tell better stories. And so I'm a bit depressed that the world of advertising and even content has been shortened into four seconds, which we force into Facebook. And I think if you look at the wider world of gaming and theatre and filmmaking, we love being immersed and interacting with things. It's just that we've taken out interactivity from the thing that used to be in the centre of our industry. So I'm excited by VR and AR because, particularly with the new... um, iOS 11, I think we're finally going to put AR into the hands of real consumers and they will play with it and they will think it's fun and they'll do useful things with it. And I think VR will become an increasingly brilliant way of doing experiential. There are people I know in Amsterdam who set up a VR cinema who are beginning to see that business model actually work and thinking about doing it as pop-ups in London. So I think maybe the future is blockchain and AI will take away all of the dull stuff and we can just sit around wearing vr goggles watching films.
0: Yeah, I'm very excited about the uh, the ar uh, and vr things moving to browser as well, sort of yep. in a in a well supported way. Yep. Mean, obviously there are sort of kits for that at the moment, but it's not sort of universal and I think that's not that far away. No, so. I
1: agree. I think it's not far away at all and I think creatively being part of a, a you know at at its core a creative agency, I think creative people will fall back in love with technology and the internet because I think at the moment there's a slight tiredness with with the formats that we're being given to play with you know Rob brought up ad blocking that people block ads for a reason but lots of people I know work in this industry block ads because they don't want to see them because they're dull and interruptive and not immersive and not interactive and not fun and I think it'll allow us to make fun things again
0: they've got like a thing set just so they can see their own ads
1: <laughs> yeah that that would be a great service only show ads that have come originated from this building.
0: Um, so, so then, just to like like take this somewhere completely different. What was the first record that you bought?
1: Um, now I have this I had this conversation with my wife all the time, who thinks it's very odd that I listened to no music before um, before I bought uh, Guns N' Roses' User Illusion One and Two on CD when I was probably about twelve. And, and so she wants to know where the rest, where the 7 to 12 went in terms of my musical uh, tastes and genesis, if you like. it out. I blocked it out. I hate the 80s. That's <laughs> the answer. It wasn't worth having. It wasn't worth having. And I, what I want to know is, what did you learn about innovation from that record? What did I learn about innovation from that record? I learned that you could make Bob Dylan songs um, more interesting because they covered Knocking on Heaven's Door. Um, and, that was by Bob Dylan? yeah. That was by Bob Dylan, exactly. So plagiarism is what I learned that innovation was all about <laughs> from that record. And that you can um, release too many songs at once. So maybe there is some sort of quality filter needed with innovation as well.
0: That is a
1: 27 nice. songs across two albums released on the same day.
0: Wow. What a beautiful note to end on. <laughs> that plagiarism is what it's all about.
1: Plagiarism is what it's all about. And, and you, you can never have too much or Rose.
0: You do need an innovation filter. An innovation sieve. <laughs> <The> innovation sieve. <laughs> does the good stuff fall through or does the good good stuff stay on the other side? <sighs> one for next month. One, one, for, one next for next month. month. Um, Lawrence, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us. Is there any shout-outs you'd like to give to anybody, any institutions,
1: um, the ZEP team? Th- yes. <laughs> do you know what? I... Um, if uh, if you haven't already, you can vote for my South by Southwest panel picker, which no doubt they'll put the, someone will put the URL in afterwards. But yeah, it's, video um,
0: killed the interactive video star.
1: killed the interactive star and um, other things I'd like to shout out to. I would I, I would urge anyone because I think it's the right right kind of uh, listening to who not some way involved with. Uh, Beamer that, you know, Rob and I have got a lot out of being involved with that as a trade body um, and it does a lot of good work in areas that other trade bodies um, ignore. So yeah, find out what Beamer are doing in your local area and get involved. I was sorting out some DNS entries today for Beamer. There we are. We're all, we're all Beamer Acolytes, particularly the stuff they do around schools and education. I it was one of those DNS. It was one of those DNS. So yeah, I think, yeah, I think, I think yeah, if you're going to do one thing, find out about Beamer D-Day. And if you're a teacher or you are a coder, find a way to get involved with schools, as well as voting for my panel picker. I've karmically balanced myself, which seems appropriate.
0: Amazing. Thank you so much.
1: Pleasure. Thank you very much for having me.
0: Uh, lift, sir. Uh, stop, Stop. 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 A podcast about how technology is changing our lives. With Robert Belgrave. And Jim Ball. Maybe I should use Bitcoin. You're using two microphones. <laughs>
1: like Robbie, two Two, uh, two, two mic Belgrave. let <laughs> 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 go with this wine rack.
0: It's not uh, monogrammed. It's no. <laughs> <That's> not monogrammed. <laughs> is, that, is that better? No, it's not. Got a bit of a one pint buzz from that. This, one pint buzz. Yeah. I've cleared one much point buzz. <laughs> really wanting a lot today. <laughs> I'm so glad we're recording all this. <laughs>